everyone. Welcome back into another installment of Bombs Away, a Twins podcast. I'm your host, CJ Baumgartner, and uh, the Minnesota Twins have had quite a bit of eventful baseball game since we last talked. I know last time we talked a little bit about uh, Tyler Malley. We talked about uh, Tyler Duffy being DFA'd, and you can go check that out and our other podcasts, which you can find on all your podcast providers, Apple, Spotify, and all the like. Be sure to give us a follow as well on Facebook and Twitter. We really do appreciate that as well. But the Minnesota Twins have been in, uh, as we just talked about, a bit of controversy in the last few days. Of course, it was a big win on Friday night, even though Malley pitched well up until about that sixth inning, seventh inning. Uh, things kind of fell apart. We'll get to that a little bit more in a second, but they still found a way to come back and win against a very good Toronto Blue Jays baseball team. They came out on a day that Dylan Bundy, of all people, was pitching and got a good performance out of him, some timely hitting, and then it looked like they were trying to get uh, three out of four in a big series against a really good team in Toronto. And in the final few moments of that game, the Twins tied it up in the ninth. It really looked like for a second that the Twins were going to win. They couldn't quite get it in uh, the ninth. They go into the tenth inning. Buxton comes in cold. Couldn't quite throw out Mitt, uh, Whit Merrifield. Uh, and then Merrifield, standing on third base, decides to go home. And Gary Sanchez tags him out on a great throw by Tim Beckham. Maybe double-clutched it a little bit, but at the same time, the throw got to where it needed to be. So I really can't credit him that much if he tries to rush that throw. Does it come off as good? Whatever. Uh, the Twins look like they're about to get out of the jam until Toronto reviews it and they go back upstairs and New York says that Gary Sanchez was out. And I can't tell you, I've never seen a moment of officiating affect the Minnesota Twins like that since 2008. I think that I have vivid memories of this. I don't know. Does anybody else remember that time in 2008 when Denard Spann tried to bunt and the pitch brushed him and he was going to first base and AJ Pierzynski, who was catching for the White Sox at the time, said something to the home plate umpire who called Spann back. Guardy went ballistic. And this was before replay, mind you. So they he went ballistic got tossed out of the game as Gardenhire usually does when he's upset. Not only that, his face beat red. He's still just fuming. He punts his hat and the Metrodome goes crazy. Fans are throwing things onto the field, which wasn't good. But, I mean, the Twins almost had to forfeit that game. I remember Bramer saying that on TV, or at least that was an option if the Twins didn't, Twins fans didn't knock it off at the time. But it was still, I remember me and my brother watching that live and we're like, what is going on right now? Just mass chaos. Does anybody else remember that? I feel like I'm the only one who remembers that moment of Guardy punting his hat in the air and just chaos ensuing uh, in that uh in that ball game, but that's the that's the thing. That was 2008. That was 14 years ago. The Twins were playing in the Metrodome. The Chicago White Sox were a consistently good baseball team back then, which is not something we can still say to this point. So that's how long this has been since really the Twins got shafted this bad on a controversial call. Now, the Twins, by the way, did end up winning that game against Chicago in 2008. On the other hand, this run that they allowed to score because they said Gary Sanchez was blocking the plate and didn't give Whit Merrifield a proper running lane to score. And the the, the Twins ended up winning that game 10-7, but 
believe it was 10-7, but they ended up losing on Sunday afternoon because of this call, and never since 2008 have the Twins been shafted on such a controversial call late in the game, and they weren't able to recover from this one. Now, the Twins had a chance in the 10th inning, and Max Kepler did not run that ball right, and he didn't get a chance to tag up from 2nd to 3rd, which changes how Miranda and Urshela, I believe that's who was up at the time, kind of changes how they impact the at-bat if a guy's on third base with one out compared to on second base with one out. But either way, the Twins didn't get it done in the 10th. There was also other opportunities you know, for the lineup. It wasn't on the pitching staff really at all that game uh, against Toronto. But for the lineup to not come up, we'll get again to some more timely hitting in a second. But they had a chance to win the game. They didn't. But at the same time, a win, a potential win, was taken away, or at least a win was gift-wrapped to the Toronto Blue Jays because of this call. And the reason why I think it also resonates is because Rocco Baldelli, for the first time, really, I've seen since he was Twins manager, went absolutely ballistic. I mean, he was screaming. F-bombs were everywhere. F-U, F-U. I mean, like, and not necessarily at the umps, but he's pointing up towards the press box, not because he's calling out the beat writers or anything, or Bramer or Corey Provis or whoever, uh, mainly because he's just meaning, like, the replay guys upstairs, the replay guys in New York. He's like, they got it wrong bleep them, that's never been called, and in a, in a sense, he's right. Now, again, I'm going to break this all down here. Let's start from the very beginning. What are we even talking about? Well, the rule is that you cannot block a runner's path to the plate. Well, why is that a rule? Well, because in the olden days, it didn't matter. You could block the plate all you wanted, but on the flip side, that runner coming home from third had every right to plow, to lower his shoulder and plow into you like you're a helpless third-string wide receiver in the 1970s, and Ray Lewis is sitting there. Not Ray Lewis, but you get my point. Now, let's say the midnight, let's say the late 90s, and Ray Lewis is sitting there in the middle of the field ready to just take your head off. You have no way to defend because you're trying to catch the ball, and Buster Posey in 2011 ended up breaking his legs, uh, his leg, his left leg on that play against the Florida Marlins. So he, uh, he ended up missing the season. It was devastating for the Giants. The rule doesn't quite come in until 2014. It still took a few years, but that rule did eventually get in. It's, uh, you know, there's whatever official rule it is, but basically it's called the Buster Posey rule because he was a catcher whose career was impacted. Now he came back, he won comeback player of the year, MVP. I get all that. But at the same time, you don't want to take out your star players if you're baseball. You just don't want guys to get injured. So it's to protect the catchers. But on the flip side, then, the catcher can't just stand in front of home plate and know that he can't get knocked over. He does have to provide an ample lane for the runner to score. That's that's kind of the that's what each person gets. You know, it's the, it's the meme with the guy and his hands folded in the suit, and he's like, you don't get to get plowed, and I get a clear path to the to home plate. But either way, that's how the rule is set up. And there have been a few instances where it's been called, and most of them have been pretty blatant violations. But really, the blocking the plate rule has not been called. There's no official stat, so anecdotally, Rocco Baldelli is technically right when he's talking about, uh, when he's talking about that play not really getting called. I can't really say I've seen this get called a bunch and I think anecdotally I think he's right there really isn't a, a, a big groundswell of of knowledge that comes to the front of my mind from the blocking the plate rule and so I think that does come into effect of why Rocco was so upset is why is it now in this very pivotal moment in the game does this get called against my team so that's 
why Rocco was upset. But let's look. Let's look at this in general and look at the whole blocking the plate thing and look at Sanchez and and how this relates. Gary Sanchez was was the catcher. Tim Beckham in left field was the fielder. He throws it on a line. So I know there's no video in front of me, but I had a chance to look back on the video and watch a whole bunch of video of people breaking down other outs and other controversial calls on this blocking the plate rule and try and compare them. So I'm going to try and do my best to paraphrase and explain it without the benefit of video or pictures or at all. I, I break this down fully in my art in my latest article for zone coverage. So go to zonecoverage.com, look up my name, look up the twins article, see my thing on Gary Sanchez talking about the Buster Posey rule. Uh, I have a whole piece breaking it down. There's a bit more information there to kind of help you out. But for now, for those listening to the podcast, uh, basically what happened is when that play starts, Gary Sanchez, he gets to the spot he wants to be, which is in fair territory. If you are in fair territory is the way the rule goes, you are establishing a path for him to go to the plate. Now you can't like right when the play starts stand in front of home plate. So Sanchez, and you can even see in the video, he makes sure he's to the right side of home plate. He is fully in fair territory and he's in front of home plate. He's not leaving any room for judgment that he was standing in, that he was standing in the way of the baseline. But then he sets up and then the throw, you could see it coming in, and frame by frame, you could see as the throw is coming in from left field, he takes a step closer to go catch the ball. And in that way, he gets a little bit in the way, but there is still a proper path because Gary Sanchez's legs are open. You can slide underneath. By blocking the plate, they mean physically like you are putting yourself in the way, and there is no possible path for him to slide in without hitting you. That is because then you could theoretically intentionally hit the catcher to try and knock the ball loose and that wouldn't be good so Gary Sanchez comes in and the thing about this rule is that um the thing about the rule and everything is the Buster Posey rule uh it it was established basically what it says is a summary is the player has to stay in the direct line to the plate which is the runner and the catcher must give the runner a lane to the plate unless he has possession of the ball. And the most way, again, the most, the way most coaches and the way it's been taught now in Major League Baseball and really in all leagues, I think blocking the catcher is illegal in most high school and kind of leagues around that age. Uh, the Sanchez did it the right way. You stay in fair territory, and then as the play takes you closer up the line, you can do that. That is well within the rules to go get the ball. You can't just let the ball go five feet away from you and get to the backstop. You like you have a right to go get the ball. Uh, Sanchez, bl- and so additionally, when Merrifield was sliding into Sanchez, his leg was lifted up. There was nothing physically stopping him from sliding into home plate on this controversial rule. And even still, so Sanchez, he gets the ball, he has full control, and then he slams his leg down on the ground, and you can see in in the video, if you see a video of it or the replay, why catchers do want to get that foot in and that leg is because it does block the guy from actually ever physically touching home plate. Merrifield never touches home plate initially. Sanchez slides the tag down, just slams it down, and he is out. Now, that is the correct way to to play the ball. He fully caught the ball. When you fully catch the ball, you do not need to give him a lane anymore according to Major League Baseball's own website. So as soon as you catch the ball, you can block the plate and that's what he did. He slammed it home. So I there's that's 
really what Sanchez did. There, there's not a way he could have played it much better than that, really. Uh, he did everything within the rules. Merrifield slid into Sanchez's leg, and he admitted this after the game because he's trying to invoke the Posey rule. He thinks, and again, I, I'm not blaming Whit Merrifield. That's probably what he should do in that situation, but he slid in because he wanted to try and invoke the rule, and in a, there's one way where he could get to the outside of home plate. There is a path to do that. The thing is, is he's coming right from third base on a tag, so he's not worried about getting a step to the side. That's valuable steps you're losing. But Mayfield's, Merrifield, I should say, slid into Sanchez to try and invoke the Posey rule. And after the game, Sanchez said to reporters, he said, I went towards the ball where the ball was. I didn't move my feet a little, but he had an open lane to slide on the side, and he didn't. He slid into me. I was just tagging him. I had the ball first. I think the line was open for him to slide to the side. He didn't. It was a clean play, and I think that's essentially what this came down to. The problem with these situations comes down to every catcher's alibi, which is always, and you hear this in football with the targeting rule that always gets brought up, is what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do this the right way without being penalized, but also making sure I'm doing my job of stopping the other person from doing what they want to do? Like, at what point do I just have to stop and let them do something? It's kind of in football. I'm going at however many miles an hour. I can't stop on a dime because I see that the guy dropped the football. Like, I, I can pull up. I can do that. But at the same time, I can't stop on a dime, prevent a collision. And in the same thing in baseball, it's like, I'm coming after the ball. What am I supposed to do? Let him get in safely? There, And it's not like I have to physically stop him. But in terms of Gary Sanchez, it's like, is he supposed to just stand to the so far to the side of the plate that his arm basically can't reach? Because that has happened with catchers in the past because they don't quite know how to defend this rule. And not every play, not every case of blocking the plate is clear cut. In fact, almost all of them are not clear cut. It's almost always a discretionary call, and uh, it it can be way more complicated due to the development of a particular play, throw patterns, whatever. It makes it incredibly more difficult to follow a rule correctly, especially if those in New York don't give an explanation for what happened. And I know there was a statement after the game, Bally Sports North put it up on a graphic, and it essentially said that Sanchez going for the ball uh, put himself in the way. Or that Sanchez, they basically said that he started to block the plate before he had full possession of the ball, which I don't know how you can get to that ruling. I really don't. I think the answer is just covering up because even after the game, the umpires just basically were like, we were told the rule. We were told the ruling. We weren't told the reason. And so that's why Baldelli's upset as he was is because he gets up there, what's going on? And they eject him because they have to, and they can't give him a reason. And now he's just mad and he has a bunch of frustration to take out on some umpires who didn't deserve it. The people on field didn't deserve it. And Baldelli mentioned it after the game, but that, I mean, there's nobody else you can take it out on in that situation. If you're Baldelli, you're fuming. I know you can save it for the post-game presser. I get that. I know some people took issue with Baldelli yelling at the umpires. I don't blame him for taking issue. I'm just saying I'm not I'm not going to die on that hill. I think if you're the point, you need to scream. Like, I don't think you need to scream at somebody, but Baldelli being mad, that was justifiable. I think that was. And by the way, I think that earns him street cred with his players. What's he supposed to do? Just like go back in the dugout and walk into the tunnel and be, or sit in the dugout and just be like, oh, well, 
go get them, boys. Like, unfortunate. Like, no, that's a big call in a big series, in a big moment, and you have to show your team how much that means, and Baldelli had to do that. You wouldn't like the umpires to kind of be the cannon fodder for that, but that's how it turned out. But not only do you do that for the players, and this, Baldelli isn't doing it for the fans, but this did earn Baldelli a little bit of street cred with the fans. There was a lot of people who were saying, Baldelli's soft, he doesn't really talk, he doesn't do whatever, and I know we've been treated to Ron Gardenhire throughout the years, but uh, he's a complete 180 from Gardy. Very laid back, very cool, very mellow. He's gotten thrown out of games before, he's gotten in fights with umpires before, but, I mean, really... He hadn't had a tirade like this ever. I mean, hats off, grizzled old, uh, you know, grizzled dad. I think John Boy, when he did his video breakdown, called it like defeated dad or like tired dad. That kind of vibe he gave of just like when he, when the hat flipped off and everything. So that's the thing is Baldelli earned a little bit of street cred with the fan base as well. Seeing like, oh, hey, there you go. Like, that's what we want. We want to see a little bit of fire out of you, out of your Rocco. And I think they definitely saw that. So Anyway, point is, post-game presser, Baldelli is saying, like, this thing never gets called. This has never gotten called. That's not quite true. It's not technically true. And I know he kind of hedges by kind of saying, like, rarely and barely and all that kind of stuff. But this did actually happen a play similar to what happened at Target Field happened in Camden Yards in a game between the Baltimore Orioles and the Pittsburgh Pirates, where Baltimore catcher Robinson Chirinos initially tagged runner Greg Allen out at the plate. The call was changed after Pittsburgh challenged it. Of course, Brandon Hyde ejected for the same reason. He wanted to get an explanation, never got one, and so on and so forth. Uh, there's a significant difference, though, between the two plays, is that Sanchez initially did start outside and was specific and intentional in making sure he was outside of his purview, or in, in the right purview, he was in the right lane, he was where he needed to be, and then adjusted with the play, whereas the play with Baltimore's catcher in Chirinos, he started in front of the plate before the throw, which means that he was blocking the plate. He wasn't moving with the ball. He was already established there. Uh, it's a little bit reactionary is the is the case you can make for Chirinos and Baltimore. Orioles fans can say, well, it was because it was a ball hit to the shortstop and he made a diving play for it and he couldn't quite get it, so it hit off his glove and rolled a little bit into the outfield. So the catcher, he kind of just thinks that the guy is going to stop the ball and the runner on third isn't going to go. Well, the runner on third does go when he sees the ball gets kind of off the glove and into the outfield. So now he's just reacting. He doesn't have time to be like, oh, am I in the right spot? Am I in whatever? It's, I need to get in the plate and I need to get ready to make a tag. Now you could say that's poor coaching. You could say that's poor technique. You could say that's whatever, but that is the argument is it's a reactionary play. What am I supposed to do in that situation to not, to not invoke, have the posy rule invoked on me? But that's the thing is there's a case you can make and a clear cut case. I think it was the right call overturning that one in Baltimore. I think it was. But when you flip it to Gary Sanchez, there's no way that that one should have been because Sanchez was in the right spot the whole time. So, I mean... I don't know, man. I've been I've been talking about this Posey rule for about 48 hours now. I'm si I'm sick of it. I know more about the Buster Posey rule and about different ways. I never caught ever. I haven't caught in a baseball game since I was eight years old, and now I know way more about catching than I ever thought I would have to know. Especially with plays at the plate and the rule and what all you can do in prior examples. There also was one with uh, I believe it was San Diego and Oakland 
where that also happened, where the rule got invoked, and it was another one like Sanchez where the catcher pretty much did everything he was supposed to do, but when you slow everything down and frame by frame and you look at it and you do everything, and it's kind of like the what is a catch rule in the NFL or establishing possession of the ball because, sure, in the speed of the moment, it looks like a catch, and in the speed of the moment, it looks like Sanchez didn't block the plate, but when you slow it down and you look at frame by frame and you do this and that, sometimes it tells a little bit too much or it says things that aren't quite there or you're inferring a little bit too much because you have too much time to think about it and do all this kind of stuff. And I love instant replay. I'm not against it at all. It's been great for baseball. But again, never underestimate Major League Baseball's ability to get in their own gosh dang way and not strictly enforce or not properly enforce is probably the right way to word it, not properly enforce the Buster Posey rule and to have it come back to bite a team late in the game like this. And that's the thing is Major League Baseball, they'll issue a statement, but they won't say who made that call. They won't do whatever. They're not going to issue a ruling to teams saying, hey, you need to change how you're doing things. At least when the NFL uh, is going to change how they enforce a rule, they let the teams know. They let the officials they t- have the officials get out and say right away, we are going to call this more often. You need to be prepared for that. You can still be upset. But you can't be upset that all of a sudden we're changing precedent. And that is the thing with Major League Baseball. They do rarely call this. And now all of a sudden it's gotten called three times in the last couple weeks. And two of them were pretty controversial. One was semi-controversial, not really controversial. So it's just why are you changing things up and not telling anybody and just making this quick change on the fly without letting teams know? This is... August 9th, we are right into the thick of some pennant races. The trade deadline's over. We've established which teams are trying to put the gas on and make a playoff run, and you did that to teams. Every single one of those teams, Baltimore technically in a playoff race, the Twins and Blue Jays in a playoff race, and San Diego in a playoff race as well. All of those games have playoff implications when you get to the final part of the season. So, look, overall, the Buster Posey rule is a good rule. It just needs to be enforced better. Posey, the Posey rule is a good rule. Just like in general, most unnecessary roughness and the targeting rules, most of them have good intentions and there's a good reason why they're there. You just need to enforce them better and you need to either overhaul the rule or tweak it on the fly. And you can't do that one or the other under the radar. You have to get out in front of it and say what you're doing. Uh, I mean, there's always been rumblings about the Posey rule since its inception, the what are the catchers supposed to do, uh, just that old school baseball mentality. Um, There's just so much gray area, I think, in that Buster Posey rule of how do you interpret a lane? How do you interpret whether a guy's getting in the way? How do you interpret whether he was doing it to block the plate or whether he was doing it to make a play on the ball? There's so many different ways of interpreting that, and baseball has done a pathetic job, like they always do, of explaining themselves and saying why they're doing what they're doing, and they had no explanation here, at least not a good one, for why Gary Sanchez uh, invoked the Posey rule and why Sanchez was technically blocking the plate, according to baseball, when he really when he really wasn't. Uh, there's just so much gray area. You can make the case almost any time in either situation for either side of why the Posey rule should or should not be enacted. And that just means that you need to let the calls on the field stand. But the problem is, is baseball actually encourages people to call them out. They encourage umpires to call runners out and then just go to the replay 
and look at it instead of making their best call. So again, baseball just not again, baseball just getting in its own way and it's super super frustrating. Uh Major League Baseball needs to clarify their own rule, overhaul it completely. It just uh, that's basically where I'm at. These plays at home in that invoke the the blocking the plate rule, they're too subjective. They're based on who's making the call and we don't even know who's making the call. We have no precedent we have no kind of uh we have no uh weather poll uh you know we have nothing to to judge this on uh it's not hard to imagine by the way that if the twins won this game be if basically you swap the twins jersey for a blue jays jersey i mean heck we both could be on the other side of this argument i could be sitting here talking about of course the posy rule needed to be a blah you know put in we all can do that because this is a playoff race. The Twins are in a very heated playoff race. I believe Chicago was losing at last check to Kansas City, but Cleveland is close. The Twins losing that game allowed Cleveland and Chicago to both get a game on the Twins division lead. This is very meaningful. Every game down the stretch matters and how close these games are. Uh... How, how close these games are and letting them be decided by a faceless person in New York with no real justification for what they're doing is not good practice. Baldelli has every right to be upset about the implementation of that rule because there was no interpretation ever given. There was no weather stick to judge on and the weather stick that they were judging on was not good because they threw it out without telling anybody that they were doing so. Every game in this division race is important. The Twins lost a one that they had a really good chance to go on and win. So that didn't completely lose the Twins the game. I'm not going to say that. I never think officiating solely does give a team a win or a loss. There's several different moments and actions that a team can do. So the, the Twins left runners on base. They didn't uh, match in the 10th inning. They didn't get a tying run across to keep the game alive. So there, there are things you can say the Twins would have lost the game regardless. And maybe you're right but the Twins got it taken away from them by bad umpiring. And that can't happen, especially in these meaningful games and, God forbid, a postseason game. All right, well, I talked way more about Gary Sanchez than I wanted to, although I think I'm finally done talking about Gary Sanchez. I want to be done talking about that man. I want to be done talking about the Buster Posey rule. I loved Buster Posey. His career was awesome. He took a very Joe Mauer-esque route for winning catchers, being a great MVP, kind of having injuries movie to first base. The one thing is Posey has three rings and Mauer has, I think, no playoff wins. So that's the big difference. That was more of the teams they were playing on more than anything. But you, you get my point. I'm, I'm done talking about this. So here's the one thing. I'm going to end the podcast talking about this. The, what are the expectations for the Twins in this series with the Los Angeles Dodgers they have coming up? We talk about how every game is important and every game matters. And the reason the Twins mattered, the reason it mattered winning that game is not only keeping your division lead, but also that you would have taken three out of four games from a very, very good Toronto Blue Jays team that was playing very well coming into that series. That would have been a big boat of confidence for your team post-trade deadlines you try and build some momentum the loss definitely takes some wind out of your sails especially when you know that the los angeles dodgers who have the league's best record are are you're going into chavez ravine and you're gonna have to try and win ball games in one of the toughest places to play in baseball so that's no bueno not gonna be good justin turner coming back for this dodgers series as well for los angeles that's also not good he's a he's a pretty solid player so the Twins, in the, it's not good. 
they're not in a great spot right now. Now, granted, after this, they play three games in Los Angeles against the Angels in Anaheim over the weekend, and then they play Kansas City at home, and then they play four against Texas. So there is kind of a there is a turnaround a little bit where things get get easier for this Twins team, but they have a chance to lose the division lead this week just because of scheduling and how that's worked out. So losing that game against Toronto was huge. But that being said, splitting with a Blue Jays team is not bad. That's not a bad series. That game on Friday night, almost the beginning or halfway through that game, but you can make a case to say after that point, the Twins had a chance to win every single ball game, and they won two out of the last three. I think Minnesota and Baltimore would be a fun playoff matchup, but that being said, I don't want any part of the Blue Jays. They're a pretty solid baseball team. So for the Twins to split with them, especially because they haven't been playing great as of late, that's not the worst thing in the world. I think at the end of the day, the Twins will take a series split with Baltimore, uh, with uh, Toronto, although they probably really wish that they got uh, that they got more in that final game. But now it gets you to the Dodgers series. Best team in baseball. They have Justin Turner back. It's going to be a pretty tough sledding. But... You also have your top two guys throwing. You have Joe Ryan. You have Sonny Gray, both on tap to pitch. The, the flip side is, is the Dodgers have some great hitters all the way down the lineup, whether it's Turner, Bellinger, Freddie Freeman. I mean, they have a, a hitters A through Z, one through nine. They can hit. Their pitching staff is also really good. You have Urias. You have just this solid lineup of guys that they throw out there. Their bullpen's really good. There's not a part of the Dodgers that really is a significant weak spot for them. So having Ryan and Gray in this series, one of them is bound to pitch well enough to win. One of them is bound to have a good enough start to come away with a win against a very good Dodgers team. And so that's going to be a plus. The whole point of this Dodgers series is can you split it, essentially? Can you just win one of the games? We talked about how splitting against the Blue Jays was good, Splitting against the Dodgers would be an even better vote of confidence. Can you just win one of these next two games? That's all that's required. You have your top two guys throwing, depending on how you feel feel about Mally, but you have Ryan and Gray throwing. There's a good chance one of them pitches well enough to get you a chance to win. Now, also, you basically have the full bullpen at your disposal in either game. You, you don't have to worry about pitching Duran in one game and then thinking that you can't use him the next day. The Twins had an off day yesterday, and they will have an off day on Thursday. So this two-game series is sandwiched in by two off days, so you will have a chance to rest your pitchers. You don't have to feel like you need to, to hold guys and kind of uh, play chess with your bullpen. You can just throw... Uh, uh, you can throw your top guys of Theobar, Jax, Fulmer, Duran, and Lopez. You can put all five of those guys out there and not really stress yourself out over it. So that's also in the Twins' advantage. But the most important part is going to be, I think, generally, now this Dodgers lineup is good, but I think generally the Twins, now that the way their bullpen is constructed, once they kind of figure out who goes where and everybody gets kind of settled in, I think this Twins pitching staff will at least be average to slightly above average. That's going to be good enough to win you some ball games. I think what the biggest issue has been, and you can maybe even say it's been all series, is timely hitting. The Twins got timely hitting, and they won on Friday night, and they absolutely destroyed the Blue Jays on Saturday. They did not get timely hitting on Sunday afternoon, and it's a big reason why they lost. They did not get timely hitting 
early in the game on Thursday night, and that's how the Blue Jays were able to just have a monster inning in about the fifth or sixth and just put the game away. The Twins had their chances early on in that game on Thursday to really take control and get out early and try and establish themselves, and they just couldn't, and then Baltimore was just able to speed away and win that game. So the Twins are going to need to get some more hitting early in the game. They're going to need to score runs early. Again, both of those last two wins against Toronto came from timely hitting early in the ball game. Nick Gordon had a big home run early. You also had uh, on Saturday, you had Jorge Polanco, Luis Arise getting some big hits in the first five innings of the game, not waiting until the seventh or eighth inning to finally scrape one across like they did on Sunday. So there's there's a few things. I know the pitching staff gets all the heat, and they've gotten it rightfully so. And as we talked last week, this Twins lineup gets kind of cold in certain spots, and they've been pretty streaky all season. So, especially with runners in scoring position. So, if there's one thing the Twins do need to improve on outside of pitching in most fans' minds, it does have to be that timely hitting. And maybe just maybe it's not even timely hitting, but it's just getting a rally together. Can you string base hits on top of each other? Not just hitting a solo home run on one big swing. Can you get two singles in a row and then a double? Can you get a walk, a walk and a double? Can you like can you stretch base runners together? They haven't quite been able to do that in recent weeks and that's why you've seen that offense kind of dip down. All right, well that's going to do it for us. We're out of time, but stay tuned. We'll have more podcasts coming later this week as we break down the Dodgers series once it's done. We'll talk about Twins pitching. We'll talk about Nick Gordon. We'll talk about just all these guys on the Twins lineup. That's a whole bunch of stuff coming up later this week. And until then, this has been Bombs Away, a Minnesota Twins podcast. I'm your host, CJ Baumgartner. We'll see you next time.